0: Welcome to The Buyer's Desk, an Infra podcast. We'll guide you through quick snapshots on Infra trends and insights, interviews with member store buyers and brand founders, and we have curated segments from Infra staff. Hey folks, and thanks for joining us on another episode of The Buyer's Desk. I am Chris Sorensen, Promotions Program Manager. And I'm Angela Bozo, Director of Member Programs, and we are your hosts. And we are back, and today we are digging into one of the four P's of category management, product mix. And Angela, when I think of product mix, I think of retailer identity, right? Like, because what you decide deserves a place on your shelf, articulates to your shoppers what your values are, and is an expression of your mission. Don't you agree with that?
1: I think product mix is critically important from both a differentiation standpoint, right? You know, we can order anything we want on the Internet. We are overwhelmed with decisions in the grocery aisle. Um, But I also when I think about product mix. I think about like this differentiation point of like curation, right? Like, you know, what you put out there absolutely does help you stand for what you want to stand for.
0: Yeah. And then using your product standards or what you carry or decide not to carry or what's banned in your store. And using those product standards to even further that, that curation or that, that mission so that it really speaks to consumers and they can understand why you have the things on your shelf and, and why you're curating it at that level, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've had a number of other interviews already this year. I think about Ernest from Ernest Foods and how he, you know, I think he said 30% of his set was just driven by customer request. Like, that is an interesting way to then also think about your product mix. Or you think about the interview we did with Jimbo's where their product standards are so high that that product mix piece kind of writes itself or it felt that way a little bit to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, Well, I had a conversation with Andy Ulrich, grocery coordinator at Mama Jeans. This is actually my first member interview. So thanks, Angela, for letting me take that over. Um, But we sat down and really geeked out about category management. We talked about product mix, but a lot of it was us geeking out.
1: I love that.
0: Right? Yeah, and uh, so we 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 really talked about product mix uh, from his like data informed, uh, data focused approach. But then later in the show, I talked to Adam Zimmer, the business development manager on the exclusive brands team at Kahee. and he oversees Kadia Made with. And I felt that uh, if we were going to have a brand on to talk product mix, they they are the perfect fit. And you know Adam's experience as a category manager across you know both conventional and most recently, Natural Foods, w- was a really great conversation to really dive into product mix from the perspective of private label. So what did you have for the episode today?
1: Huh. Actually, it felt like we tag teamed this. You took the member interview. I took my first retail talk. Oh, no, I've been on Retail Talk before. So, but I did appreciate the high five. It was a great conversation with me and Lauren Bartel, our wellness category manager, and Matt Ryan, our retail strategist. And at first I felt like, well, what are we going to talk about product mix? But there was actually some really insightful like decision-making and like just things to consider that were kind of broad. But I like that you joked that it could have been kind of an educational grocery course in the end.
0: Yeah, totally. Copy, paste, put that in Academy of Retail Training, and we're good to go.
1: Absolutely. And just like every month, we have our three-minute data-centric segment with the amazing Jim Olson from Spins. But first... We're going to hear from Felice at ECRS, an infra-technology partner helping independents thrive with e-commerce, point of sale, loyalty tech and so much more. Hi, I'm Felice Maje Harvey from
2: ECRS and we want to get jalapeno business. We are a holistic retail technology partner that empowers independent retailers without requiring integrations. Our technology bushel or er, stack encompasses store-wide retail operations and empowers retailers to provide a seamless and positive experience for them and their community. So what does that mean to you? It means your receiving team will be cool as a cucumber using our ecosystem module for supply chain ease and automatic spins reports. It means your community will not only stay healthy with an apple a day, they will flourish with the ease of native Roundup for Charity. It means sprouting support for Snap EBT online shopping. It means your cashiers and shoppers will go bananas over our produce recognition technology, which does not necessarily recognize well-placed produce puns. Turn lemons into lemonade and partner with us, one technology provider, not a bunch, to provide you with the best tech and produce jokes to help your communities thrive so you can thrive too. Visit eCRS.com today.
3: Hello, I'm Jim Olson, SPIN's Retail Insights Manager for Infra, here with the rundown of what's happening on the data side of the natural foods industry. Maintaining a product mix that is reliable to existing customers, attractive to new customers, adheres to your store's core values, and is overall profitable is one of the greatest challenges facing any store, especially in the independent grocery world Where margins can be slim and mistakes costly. While gut instincts and employee knowledge earned from years of service are essential, so too is the ability to utilize real data to understand your product mix performance. Luckily, Spins is here to help. As the leading provider of natural food industry sales data, Spins is the perfect tool to help you understand your product mix. Think of us as a virtual category manager, imbued with the ability to tell you exactly what is selling well, what needs some TLC. what incremental sales options lie just outside your doors understanding the performance of your current product mix requires an understanding of key spins metrics measuring total store activity for example dollar sales tell you the monetary gains you realized yet unit sales can be just as important if a category is known for multi-unit promotions or higher dollar value per unit meanwhile share of sales can be used to understand how much a category may be contributing to total department sales and whether that category's role is worth additional time and energy should its performance be found wanting. Lastly, price point is also an important metric to consider, whether you're over or underpriced compared to competitors and the impact that is having on potential sales. Spins can also support your efforts in attracting new customers by highlighting top void opportunities to add into your product mix. Through Spins data, you can see how top items perform across the natural channel, contrast that item performance against your own, and most importantly, see how many of those top items you don't currently carry on your shelves. Once again, utilizing key Spins metrics and their velocity to determine if they're a smart addition or not. Finally, Spins can help you evaluate your current or potential product mix based on the shared values between the brand and your store. Spins product intelligence analyzes each and every UPC sold across our entire network of retailer partners and adds unique flags based on certifications, label claims, key ingredients, dietary limit, packaging type, and so much more. As you strive to offer customers a product mix that differentiates you from big box retailers, Spin's attribute filters can ensure that the brands you carry now or in the future directly align with the values and mission of your store, from B Corp to zinc oxide. As the year draws to a close and you begin to review your store's 2023 performance, don't forget to incorporate Spin's data into your recap. Comparing this year to last, and utilizing spins to benchmark your sales successes, help ensure you're able to retain your existing customers, attract new ones, and keep your product mix closely aligned to your core values. I wish you all luck in closing out the year. As always, I'll see you at the show. Hello, I would like to
0: welcome Andy Ulrich, the Grocery Coordinator at Mama Jeans to the BIOS desk. I'm doing my first member interview Andy and I met at the annual Infra Conference on the tabletop floor. We started talking data. We were talking every day. And I just knew I wanted to get Andy on the show. And uh, so Angela kindly let me sit down with Andy and do the member interview for this month. So, hey, Andy, thanks for being on the show. Welcome.
4: Thanks for having me, Chris. Uh, good to talk to you again.
0: Yeah, likewise. So, we're going to really nerd out on category management and product mix. I'm excited about that. But first, I wanna get into your position. So your grocery coordinator, you know, I've heard grocery buyer, grocery manager, grocery category manager. So I wanna know a little bit more about what the grocery coordinator role is at your store. What do you oversee? What, what are some of your responsibilities and what is some of the evolution that's happened at Mama Jeans within this, this role?
4: Yes. At Mama Jeans, we have three locations. So it seemed necessary at some point to have a coordinator oversee the three stores. So there is a manager at the department at each store, which takes care of the buying and running the team and keeping up the operations. And then the coordinator oversees bringing in new items, product mix, category management, and then picking which items will be on promotion and what items to feature on displays.
0: Awesome, so that, that's kind of evolved for you guys, and, and you've even talked about how you even see this role evolving and even maybe spreading out throughout the different teams. Can you tell us a little bit about kind of that evolution of this role?
4: Yeah, as grocery coordinator, I've been very serious about the category management and really optimizing our sets and seeing what's working, what's not working, and uh, having a yearly category review schedule to make sure that sets aren't neglected and that improvements are always being made. And then the other side of that being making sure that every month we have really good displays that we're calling out our sales. And then uh, recently I've taken on the role of lead coordinator to assist the other coordinators in some of these practices and helping them uh, make the same improvements.
0: Awesome. That's great. So I'm excited to hear a little bit more about the the work that you're doing in detail because some of the reports and things you showed me on the tabletop floor were amazing. I, I really appreciated that. So I want to know a little bit more on how you guys define product mix in your categories. Do you guys use like a good, better, best strategy in, in, in your different categories and you dig in by subsegment or do you start with the macro picture of a category? Like how do you guys approach category management?
4: So for me, there wasn't really a blueprint for how to do category management, but in the past I've worked for a number of other grocery store chains and I've seen how they clearly have a monthly schedule for doing reviews and there's clearly a a system for how they're making these decisions for what to drop, what to add, what to expand. So over the last couple of years, I've tried to replicate that as best I could and it's been uh, an ongoing process. So the way that I have set things up is that over the course of 12 months, we'll review every grocery sub-department is the term that we use, category, uh, once. And so for the month, maybe there'll be three or four of them that I'm reviewing. So we'll just look at the tuna set, for example, and we'll look at which products are performing well, which ones are performing poorly, and really brainstorm how we can make improvements to the overall set so it's a case-by-case way of looking at things where we see where opportunities may be what items we could we could add using spin's other data and then with the goal being to increase the overall dollar amount of the sub department and as a result the overall dollar amount that the grocery department will bring in as a whole
0: that's great yeah that is a lot of work but it's it's necessary it's the antithesis of neglect which i think you've talked about is you know, at least you're putting some work into these things and, and at a narrow level. I want to know too, like when, when you guys are looking at these new products or looking at something that you want to switch out, do you consider price point, quality? Like what are some of the other factors beyond, is this going to increase my dollars for this category? What are what are some other considerations or like rules that you have that you go through?
4: Definitely all of those things. Uh, we certainly want to have an item that is at a good price point And often Kadia helps out with that but we want to have an item with a good price point. We want to have high quality products. If we're looking at tuna, we want to have things that are low mercury options. So we want to have a diverse set while also keeping in mind how we can increase the overall dollar amount. So it's all of those things.
0: That's great. So I guess my other question is, is how do you balance that having a diverse set without having an oversaturated set? Have you ever struggled with that in a particular set? And like, how have you worked through some of that? Yes, we definitely
4: have struggled with that. And one of our stores in particular has a really big floor plan. So you can fall into having too many SKUs that are redundant. So when I run into those situations, I think about how I can get, I would say, new dollars in that set. So if we were looking at condiments, is there a way that I can get more money out of marinades, which may be something that we aren't offering a big, we don't have a big offering of. So how can I diversify the set with other items, which would be money that wasn't already there?
0: Yeah. No, I think that that's a great way of saying that. You kind of called out two different things. Uh, The first thing I want to get to is you talked about you have a store with a bigger floor plan. That leads me to believe you have stores with different floor plan sizes. How do you do this work for three stores of different sizes? And how does that maybe help you? And how does that hinder you in the work that you do?
4: So the way that I've broken down that process is I do the first reset at the store of the biggest floor plan because there's the most room to work with and then I can see what works there and then I take it to, I take what I've what I planned at that store and I replicate it at the other stores where maybe there's a few, a few less spacings of an item
0: Do you also then, depending on the size of the set, do you cut some skews at the the smaller stores or is it just the the amount of facings that go down? Does your assortment change between the stores or is that equal?
4: When I move on to the second and third store, it's kind of like starting over the process because there may be items at those locations which are doing well, which aren't at the first location. And I don't want to remove those just for the sake of keeping things consistent. If things are doing well, we're going to leave them there. So it is uh, starting over the process, but but at that point I'm really familiar with what items are offered, what items I want to bring in after looking at spins or new items that I've that I've been thinking about for a while. Uh, so then it's kind of like starting over that whole process again. But there may be fewer SKUs that are that are carried at those stores. Well,
0: yeah, that's 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 a lot of work, but I think it's it's the right kind of work, right? I think doing a blanket approach on all three stores, you're you're not really taking into account the demographics of the different shoppers in your different stores. So I absolutely love that you do that work. And the thing that I also want to know that kind of comes to mind is how do you contextualize some of the data that you're working with, with all of the things like being in a different store, you know, having a different demographic or a different income set in, in your different stores and taking into account like out of stocks, constraints, new items that don't Fully uh, aren't fully articulated in that data. How do you like bring that all together to make these decisions?
4: Well, I think with all of this, it comes down to incremental changes and taking the time to really think through the pros and cons of every item at this location and seeing what will work. So I think it's for every sub department, it's a hundred little decisions. And sure, at one of our stores, we may not carry a lot of the high end items. Uh, because of where that's the demographics of that store. And so all of these things have to be taken into consideration.
0: And how do you make sure to get that like non-data context? Like, are you working in the stores? Do you collaborate with the grocery managers in each store on getting feedback? How do you make sure that you're getting all of the context when you're making these little decisions in every sub-department?
4: I spend about 10 hours of my week uh, either ordering or stocking trucks. So I feel really close to the product mix. So I'm seeing what's out of stock, what's on the rise, what isn't working, what feels stale. So I feel like I'm I'm staying really close to the product mix. And then I have a real close relationship with my grocery managers at each store. And they're constantly giving me feedback on what we might be missing an item in this set, um, an option for something, or, hey, this isn't working well here, anything like that. And as a rule, I want to hear, Everything they don't like I want to hear all bad feedback. I want to hear all good feedback. I want to hear all their ideas. I want bad ideas shared at all times, and that's how we get a lot of good ideas.
0: No that's great. I, I think you are you and I are both aligned in, in that it's it's that feedback that allows to maybe spark an idea that you wouldn't have had otherwise. So I think all feedback is good feedback, whether it's not used or not it could could benefit. The overall decision making. So I love that. One thing you mentioned earlier uh, when we were talking about the product mix, maybe the good, better, best, and the price points, you brought up Kadia being your price point. So you guys are a part of the Infra Everyday program. I know you guys have rebranded your Mama Jeans brand a few times. And I think it's at the Mama Jeans Super Saver program right now. How is that going? And what have you seen for opportunities within the product mix for that kind of good and the good, better, best strategy?
4: Yeah, Katie is a great brand for us, and I think it really helps our image as being affordable and competitive, especially with new shoppers. And uh, we do we are part of the EDLP program. We include the EDL price in with a regular price, and then we call it out with a small tag next to it that says "Super Saver." As far as the items that do best for us, I would say that it's the the staple products: the ketchups, honey, maple syrup, uh, things along those lines which people are maybe the most price conscious about. And um, I think there's some more opportunities um, in that area. Alfredo sauce, taco shells, a few other items like that.
0: Yeah, that would be good. And that's, that's one thing, you know, we've even added to the MOA, you know, with stores that have ideas on what Kadia, you know, any, any innovation that Kadia should should have as a part of, you know, that program that's a lot of good feedback. So it's, it's great to hear that that's working for you. So the next thing I want to get into that I thought was really fascinating when you started showing me some of the data that you're working with, I was doing work in my store on space planning. So we were really looking at sales per linear feet. So we we're looking at four foot sections and like, what kind of sales can we generate for a four foot section? Whether it's like this four foot section generates $2,000 a year. This four foot section generates $10,000 a year or whatever your time frame is. It allows you to see opportunities maybe of what categories you should extend, uh, expand to maybe a four foot to eight foot or what categories you could, you know, reduce from an eight foot to four foot and maybe not lose sales. So how do you guys approach some of your space planning and what are some of the uh, maybe fundamentals that you use when defining what's successful and what's not?
4: I think the hardest thing for doing category management is getting uh, easy to digest data so that you can really see a clear picture of where this sub-department is and where it's trending. So what's helped me the most is being able to download our item movement out of our POS system into an Excel document where I can see data over the last year versus the previous year for every product. And then I can also see side-by-side data for each product between each one of our stores. And that really helps me to see which items are missing at one store that are performing well at another. So it's essentially a gap report. And then also I can see the same thing for my sub department. So I can see where each one of them is trending. So that'll give me an overview of how the sub department is going. Do we need to do a major overhaul? Is it is it really stale or are things going well and maybe we can just tinker a little bit, but we, we don't want to disrupt what's working. And then using that data, we've been able to take the dollar amount of the subdepartment, and then factor in the amount of space that it's given. So if it's given a four-foot section, then the, that amount would equate to the total of subdepartment. And then we can break it down by, if there's six shelves, let's divide the total by six. And then the other way that we're looking at it is how many products are in this section. So if we have 50 items, let's take the total and divide it by that number. And then we can kind of see what the average amount per SKU that we're generating. And we don't use that as a strict cutoff because obviously some of your top performers are going to really raise that number up, but it gives, it gives you a clearer picture of how things are. And it really helps too with seeing two of our stores are really similar in size, which is a great tool for me because if, one, if a subdepartment is doing way better at one store than another, that can really help me see where opportunities are once I get down and look at the specific
0: items. That's great. I'm curious with doing some of that analysis, have you guys expanded certain categories and given it additional space and retracted categories? And if so, what is what has been the outcome? Do you see uh, a sales increase or sales decrease when you make some of those decisions? And have you had positive or negative impacts from doing something like that?
4: Yes, definitely. And, you know, coconut oil is a good example where that Subdepartment or that category has really dropped off over the last couple of years. So really going in and looking at this data, just let's just look at the coconut oil. You can see, wow, you know the the amount that we're giving, you know, if we're giving that five shelves, and this is the dollar amount, it needs to be two shelves. So and then let's see, the olive oil is doing really well, the avocado oil is doing really well. Let's expand there. And I think that the the question that I like to ask myself also is what is the what is the limits for this section? So tuna is a really high-performing category for us. But I don't know that I need to expand it beyond four feet. I don't know that the demand is going to be there to give it eight feet. Probably not. But with some other categories, you know, candy. Should my candy be really squished together? Probably not. That's, you know, an impulse area. Let's give that eight feet. So there's a lot of considerations to making changes. And it's definitely data-driven. I think about category management as reducing the amount of guesswork from, you know, you start out at 100 percent and then how can we use this data to reduce that number as much as possible? Because at the end of the day, it's still, you're still using hypothetical numbers. So this new item that I want to bring in, what is it really going to be worth? Is it going to be better than what I currently have?
0: No, that's, that's great. I'm, I'm curious to go back to your example with the coconut oil and the olive oil and avocado oil so when you did that reduction of coconut oil, do you go back and see like, did you decrease sales after making that reduction or were, you, were sales able to kind of hold where they were after making that space reduction? And then ad- adversely on the olive oil and the avocado oil, when you expanded those, were you able to increase sales after doing that?
4: So my process for reviewing whether or not category reviews have worked is that I have an Excel document where I will look at the month after the review. So if I do a review and a reset in March, in April, I will look at the numbers that that sub department is showing and I will compare it to last April to see if there's growth. And then I'll I'll obviously look at that number and compare it to where our overall grocery numbers are trending. So if it's up, but overall grocery is up more, I want the reviews that I do to carry the department higher.
0: Yeah, you want ROI on the work that you invested in in that review. So you're going to tell me did 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 the oils actually get a sales increase? And did I, I want to know the results? Do do you know offhand?
4: The, that's a really recent change, so I don't have the data yet. <laughs> okay, but I'll tell you that the coconut oil numbers were unbelievably low. <laughs> so I, I'm sure that we're going to see a gain. Yeah.
0: Cool. Okay. Good. So lastly, I I think uh, we did a pretty good job of kind of encapsulating product mix and doing a category view and all of that. What haven't we covered? What What's something when it comes to category reviews, product mix, merchandising, anything like that that we haven't covered?
4: I think the most important thing for me is always remembering the value of shelf space, where it's not about getting things out of the back room or bringing in new items and we got to get them on the floor. It's about really thinking through, will this help this four-foot section or not? So meeting with brokers, most of my answers are no to new products. And when when they ask, you know, why not? Uh, my answer is always, I don't know how I'm going to make this work. And I don't want to bring in new items and have them sit. And I ask them not to tell me about free fills because I don't want that to in any way change my decision. Because the goal is long-term success and making the smallest incremental changes to increase the total amount of a sub-department.
0: I think that's great feedback. I mean, there is value of new items and you know exciting people with with new things, but there's also, I think, to run a business, you need to know what the work that you're doing is one going to have an ROI and is going to be successful for the long term. So I, I really appreciate that perspective because there's kind of two schools of thought of you know bring in all the new stuff, do all the free fills, do everything now. That's going to capture what's hot, what's trending. And that might bring in the new the new customer. So I, I really appreciate it, your focus on that.
4: Yeah, I think new items are great, and I really think they can have quick, immediate returns. But at what cost? So it's always everything that you do, whether adding something, reducing something, moving something up a shelf, down a shelf, it's both going to have a positive and a negative in every case. And the job of the category manager is to weigh those two things and figure out if you're going to come out on top or not.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, excellent. I really appreciate chatting with you about this. Yeah, thanks
4: for having me. It was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, if we don't end, it'll be like three more hours.
0: Yeah, (laughs) but you got a truck to to go stock out here in a few minutes. That's true.
4: I'll get a knock on the door soon. Yeah,
0: (laughs) excellent. Well, thanks, Andy. Take care.
5: All right. Thank you.
1: One more small amount of appreciation for Jim Olson and his what ended up being a little bit of a commercial for Spins. But honestly, product mix is absolutely up Spins category. So I am super happy to play that commercial for them.
0: Oh, totally. Product mix is up Spins category. What a good spin on that one. Absolutely. Yeah. Jim's earned this one for sure.
1: Chris, I loved your conversation with Andy. I love how extensive that it ended up being. Um, But you know what really stood out for me in the beginning was his whole origin story, which I feel like so many people are going to be able to relate to this. Like, well, we figured out there probably was a need for this like upper grocery position and we weren't exactly sure what to do. So we took a little bit of the, you know, a little bit of the experience we had and then we kind of made it our own, which I think there are a lot of people in the world that feel like category management, capital C, capital M is like this more rigid process than it actually ever ends up being when people execute it.
0: Yeah. And I think that's with a lot of things, right? Like category management is is has that rigor put into it, but then in practice and what you actually do has to be a little bit more fluid. There's more nuance. There's a lot more things that go into category management that need to be taken into account beyond just the data and beyond like a certification or a degree, right?
1: Yeah, I don't know either. And I, you know, I heard him time and time again to just like, Be kind of flexible and open minded and also kind of have some like some not like rules. I don't think he used the word rules, but just have some like some ways that he has over time, like learned to interact with all of the different kind of sources of stimuli that would be affecting his product mix. And just like he he just seemed so much like he has really built himself into that role in a way where I can tell he doesn't have to think too hard every day.
0: Yeah, and I appreciate that he's built this rigor into his systems and procedures and everything. And what I really like about what he said, even just with talking about category management or product mix was incremental change, right? That's one of the things that's really important. Like when you're not doing category management and then you realize you have to do it, sometimes it feels like I have to do the whole store at once. I need to start cutting. I need to make big changes because I need my margin to work. I need my sales to work. And I need all of this to work, but that could have huge negative impacts. So incremental change like doing three, four, five, you know, category reviews in a month and doing the whole store over a year. Like the way he said he does it, that's the way to do it. And that's where you really start to see what's working, what's not working. And you can stop something, you know, bad from happening before it gets too far.
1: Oh, absolutely. It is impossible to think about that conversation without thinking about how much I believe shopping is a habit how like even if you take like, you know, you've seen the retailers that take that like f- like a small perishable case of salsa and put it in the middle of a chip aisle. And th- that makes perfect sense. Yes. At some point, though, if that cooler wasn't in that aisle, there's no way that they did not have like a drop in sales when they moved it, even though the move made perfect sense.
0: Yeah, it's those results, right? That's why I had to call Andy out. And I was asking like, what were the results? Uh, obviously, the work he did was too new and he hadn't reviewed it yet, but that's always the thing, right? Like, what were the results? What was the impact? Like, what what is it going to have on your your total department change? Did it grow? Did it reduce? So super fascinating. love chatting about that stuff.
1: Yeah, I, I thought it was a really insightful conversation. And speaking of insightful conversations, next up is my conversation with Lauren and Matt from Infra, and we will talk about all things product mix. But first, we're gonna hear from Joni at Fentiman's, a botanically-brewed craft drink which is a perfect match for holiday cocktails.
6: Looking for the perfect beverage this holiday season? Look no further than Fentiman's botanically-brewed sodas. Featuring unique flavor profiles created by Fentiman's proprietary botanical brewing process make them the perfect match for holiday cocktails with flavors like ginger, cinnamon, and bright citrus. These sodas are great to enjoy over ice this holiday season. But do you want to spice things up? Try Fentiman's White Chocolate Rose Cocktail. Combine Fentiman's Rose Lemonade with two ounces of vanilla vodka and a half ounce of simple syrup to make a light and refreshing holiday cocktail that features notes of lemon, floral rose oil, and a roundness from the sweet addition of vanilla garnish with a white chocolate truffle and this simple but elegant cocktail is an addition to your holiday soiree all will enjoy. Make sure to get the latest updates by following us on Instagram at Fentamins underscore USA.
1: Hi, it's Angela. I took over Retail Talk for Chris this episode and I'm joined today by my colleagues, Lauren Bartell, our wellness category manager, and Matt Ryan, our retail strategist, How's it going today, guys? Pretty good.
5: Good. Thanks for having us. Thanks,
1: Angela. Awesome. So we are here today to talk retail. We're gonna talk product mix. So let's just start with in both of your opinions, like what does product mix mean to you? It means a lot of things. I think it means, you know, the the traditional
7: good, better, best. It means a range of prices. It might in wellness mean a range of delivery methods. Do you have a capsule and a liquid and a powder? and what kind of certifications does it have i mean there's so many different ways you can look at product mix and you can even jump into categories and get really specific like you know for example protein you want a price range mix you want all the certification mix but you also want to look at you know do you have a collagen do you have a whey do you have a plant protein so there there are so many angles
5: yeah and i think when i Think of it nowadays, especially that curation that Laura was talking about. It's really important. Uh, in the past, uh, our, our stores were destinations for these products. And now that there is multiple ways of, of purchasing them, you really need to be that, that smart narrator for another term of why you're carrying something.
1: I love that because we all know that no matter what store we're talking about, there's going to be some element of space limitation, right? I mean, we know coolers, sure, but all shelf is going to have some amount of limitation. And it feels like in the last, let's say, decade, two decades, we've had this amazing resurgence and like explosion of the number of natural SKUs like throughout categories. So it feels like those that why is really important. Where, where do you guys think different retailers derive their whys? Like, Tell me like a few that you know and like how it would affect product mix. Um, well, I think uh, two that jump into my head are, of course, local. I mean,
7: that's that's not a differentiator necessarily for stores. I think everybody's focused on local. But what is really local to you specifically can be a differentiator. Are you going to your farmer's markets to find that local? You know, and there are a lot of really small brands that you can help build up that maybe a larger retailer it's still focused on local on a much larger level wouldn't have the the ability to or the patience to. I think, you know, a vegetarian store, that's another example of, you know, what, what the product mix in a vegetarian or vegan store is going to be really different than one in your traditional grocer.
5: I think this when I think of good mixes, the stores I see that have a, a shopper-first mindset have the best. They're trying to identify what their shoppers need and like and then also that creates room for them to have some more exploratory space at that, you know, they know their shoppers well enough that when they're bringing something new in or something with a funky attribute, um, it'll intrigue them.
1: Okay, so I'm bringing something in with a funky attribute. In your guys' opinion, how long? How long proof of concept? Like, does a SKU stay on the shelf before we realize it's a good idea? Um, I think... When you bring in
7: like a line extension or a new brand into your store, if you're able to put it on an end cap and put it on sale, that can really expedite that process of exploration into whether the the brand or the item is going to succeed. If you have it on an end cap or in a feature spot and it's on sale and it doesn't move, it might not be the right item for you. Stepping back, you know, overall, I like to look at category management on a 12 month basis because there's so much seasonality and wellness. You know, whether you're looking at sun care and bug spray or immune boosters, any of that. So split the difference six months. Call it after six months.
5: Yeah, I think putting that context out of the product is important where it's, is it the seasonality or is it the, the length of time? Um, and also, what is it competing against? Uh, you know, if you're bringing a new kombucha, it's got to fly right away. Like if it's not, it's not worth it versus some revolutionary can of corn might need some time on the shelf.
1: I want to yeah. see that can of corn. No, right? That's like that's a good one. Well, no, because it, it does really beg the question. You know, I have a subcategory. I have like a really solid mover in this subcategory. And I've just been presented three other items that are kind of intriguing and have some interesting attributes. Does it make sense for me to even cut something in to try when I like know I have a winner? There's like a, There's like a part of that to me that feels like maybe that's a way people could then reprioritize their subcategories. Or what would you guys do in a situation like that?
5: I would say make sure you're not cutting any base sales first and foremost. Don't just because something has is shiny and new doesn't mean it's going to make up for that. And then will it add to that base is one huge consideration.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. How do we feel about prioritizing particular, basically saying like in any given category, you need to have a low price price? You need to have one trendy thing. You need to have one good mover. Do you feel like you could look at a subcategory and like make a couple of decisions so that maybe somebody that's never thought about category management before would have like a general idea of how that would work?
5: Again, I think context is so, <laughs> I think that context is so important by category or subcategory. It's, you know, how many new products you need and is going to differ depending on where you're sitting. So I don't think it's a matter of like, Every subcategory is going to have a, a space to fill when it comes to that, like new products, especially new types of products, for sure. With pricing, I think there's a little more consistency that you want to make sure you're providing an array of choices.
7: Yeah, and I think kind of picking on what uh, Matt said, you know, there there are going to be categories where you're seeing a lot of growth at a time, and then there could be categories where there's not a whole lot happening. And so, being proactive and making sure that you're cutting product you know you're looking at your slow movers you're discontinuing products so you have space when that new exciting item shows up I think that's really critical like you always want to be proactive with your category management
5: just when it comes to cutting products too I would also say don't be nostalgic like you know things have their life cycle and you know you wish them well and send them on when they're done
7: yeah yeah totally and it's so easy. It's so easy for that one, that one really outspoken customer who comes in to say, where is the whatever, or, you know, the staff to say, oh, no, if we get rid of it, so and so is going to be so upset. But, you know, if so and so is the only one buying it. You can encourage them to do a special order for a case and then you got a whole spot on your shelf for something brand new and exciting.
1: Maybe this is a little bit adjacent to product mix, but uh, I've always found this to be kind of interesting in, in that I have seen items where I did not know what category they would live in and therefore decided that even though it was delicious or amazing, that it should not be brought in. I'll use the example of a tomato jam. So it was delicious. It was artisan. It was lovely. But I didn't like what set does it go in, right? Does it really go with the giant tomato set with the sauces and the canned tomatoes? It doesn't really go in the jam set where you have predominantly like fruit based products and maybe that one skew of mint jelly for the British lamb consumers among you. So, in terms of product mix, when you see something that is outside of a traditional categorization, what do you guys think?
7: I think you can look at or you can
1: think about whether your shopper would buy it
7: because sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's just there's there is no good spot in your store, and it might be partly because shoppers are not coming to your store for that item. You know, I think you see that a lot with like general merchandise products. you are like, oh, that's a great idea. There's absolutely nowhere that would go, or like, you know, a, a really high end item that might do well in a salon or a spa or like a boutique. It's not going to do well in your store. But then, you know go back 10 years and i don't think that there was a spot for mushroom coffee in anyone's store and that's done really well so you do have to think about you know yeah that's something that people would be excited about so you make a spot or again you start it on like a feature shelf and you kind of see if there's interest and then you build that into your set
5: i think if you really truly believe that it will add sales you can find a spot for it and much as i love a nice tight like thoughtful set that's perfectly logical Sometimes you break out of that and you say if this customer is going to find it in like by the goat cheese, you make a spot for it there.
7: Yeah, yeah. Tomato jam and the cheese set. Like, why yeah.
1: not? No, if you're doing a little bit of specialty cross merchandising in a department like that, that can make absolute sense. And it can look totally different than your grocery shelves. Absolutely. All right, you guys, when you saw the calendar invite for today and knew that you were going to be talking to me about product mix, was there anything that you felt like you were going to be addressing that we did not already talk about? I think the thing that popped into my head that you really can't write into like a
7: category management 101 handbook is you got to you got to work with your expertise. Like you have to incorporate what you know about your demographic, not the general demographic of the natural channel you have to work with. You know, what you know about that category that department because you're going to handle perishable products really differently than you're going to handle wellness products. And you're going to look at facial care really differently than you're going to look at like a vitamin D set. You know, you want more variety in certain sets. There's that emotional component to certain purchases. And so you you really can't apply the same process exactly, you know, from category to category or department to department. And so you have to, you know, trust that you know what you know and and listen to your brain says, do this, then, you know, it makes sense to, to make an exception in one category where you might not in another.
5: Yeah, with that, too, I think, you know, we, we call them category reviews, but really it's category context and addressing all that for each one. That's really what's going to get you that the the best set. And when I think of a, a good product mix, I think of a full shopping experience for your store clientele. That might not mean you have everything that everyone would want, but you've selected your type of product that if you are a vegetarian store or still a gluten-free store, things like that, your customers get that full experience.
7: Also, and maybe this is a no-brainer, maybe not. Um, I've heard you know different people have different perspectives on it. But when you're doing your category reviews, along with looking at your product selection for the reasons that we've talked about, look at your movement you know, both by unit and by dollar because you may sell 200 of one thing a year and make less than you make selling another item you know, at 20 a year, just depending on the price point. And both of those are important because you want to make money, but you also don't want to disappoint a lot of your customers if you have a huge number of people buying something very small. So I think it's really important to keep the context dollars versus unit sales in mind also.
1: I like that. I also like you know giving yourself the freedom to feel like different categories could have different standards and different stories to tell. And just knowing that, like, it is uh, it is something that requires attention on different levels to make things interesting for the shopper. But reminding yourself that shopping is habit and that people are going to buy what people have always bought in some in some respect. Right. Lauren, Matt, thank you so much for joining me today. Have a fantastic rest of your week and goodbye. Thanks, Angela.
5: Thanks, Angela.
0: So Angela, I just had to laugh at Matt's uh, deadpan delivery of the quote, revolutionary can of corn. I thought that comment was great. But I mean, he's so right, though. Uh, Sometimes you have to give some items more time on the shelf before you reassess their performance than others. Kind of like Lauren's advice on following your instincts on your approach to product mix from set to set. You know, each category or each subcategory has a a different approach sometime you need to take. So they have unique needs and different things you need to consider. It's not a one size fits all, right?
1: Yeah. You know, what I liked about Matt's comment there, too, was like, let's talk about the canned vegetable set. Like, there's a little bit of innovation in that category, but only recently. And so, you know, you think about other sets in the store that are far more interesting to innovate in and you're seeing more products in. And so actually, I mean, he wasn't necessarily fully making the point that you should go back to some of your core set categories. But like, it it really brought that up for me. Like, oh, you're right. I I need a canned green bean. So I'm going to have one on my shelf, no matter what other interesting canned vegetables are are presented to me at the time. Right. I also loved, though, you know, we've got Andy kind of giving you his insight. And then Matt and Lauren kind of juxtapose his particular experience by giving you some really broad ways to look at product mix. And like, I thought they both did an awesome job kind of calling out different things to consider when making those decisions.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that, like you said, uh, Andy was relaying his experience. You know, this is what I do. But for Matt and Lauren to come at it with their years of experience working in different stores as well and, you know, working at Infra, giving some guidance to best practices. And I think that's what's the most helpful. You, You don't have to do it the way they necessarily said, but consider in how you're going to make it your own way or how you're going to make it work in your store's way. And I think that's important.
1: Oh, my gosh. If you walk away from this episode with nothing more than you can make a lot of your own decisions when it comes to product mix and category manager, then I think we did our job today.
0: Yeah, and maybe side note, uh, don't just blanket everything. I think you know everything deserves its own attention too, right? Well,
1: absolutely. It's still within the like general lowercase c, lowercase m category manager paradigm.
0: Absolutely. Cool. So next, we're going to hear my interview with Adam at Kadia on how private label is essential in your product mix strategy. But first, we're going to hear from Marianne at Tayart, to get you thinking about this holiday season and think about some cozy gifts that alpaca punch.
8: Hi, I'm Marianne Wertz, president of Tay Art and the designer of alpaca socks. Why should your customers purchase alpaca socks? Alpaca fleece is softer, warmer, and lighter weight than cheap wool. Alpaca also is a hollow fiber and does not contain lanolin, which is the wax on wool fibers. This makes alpaca less allergenic than wool products. It is a great fiber for people with sensitive skin and people looking for comfort and warmth. Alpaca fleece also has great wicking capabilities. It keeps your feet dry and warm. Due to its wicking qualities, you also don't need to wash those socks every time you wear them. And they are machine washable in cold water and a low dryer. We don't have any minimums. We offer free shipping and a 3% discount to all of you who are interested in carrying our socks for the holiday season. Contact us at www.tayartinc.com. Thank you for your time and have a great fourth quarter.
0: Hey folks, I'd like to welcome Adam Zimmer, product development manager for exclusive brands at Kehi, which includes the Kadia brand. Welcome Adam, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Chris. So our theme for this month is product mix. And a very important part of the product mix in each category set in a grocery department is the value brand or store brand. Over the last decade, the store brand has dramatically shifted to a higher quality, better tasting product and are relied upon by many households as a family favorite, which is great. We have seen the rise of Trader Joe's brand, Whole Foods 365, and even Target's Good & Gather brand showcasing natural and organic options at a value. For the independent grocers, especially on the natural side, there really only been a few brands that have played in this area throughout the years, and most of them don't have the breadth of a portfolio that can really compete with these big box stores. And then in comes Kadia a brand created specifically for independently owned grocery stores. So I thought bringing Adam on the show and talking a little bit more about Kadia would be a great way for members to hear a little bit more about that Kadia story. So before we dive into this topic at hand, Adam, I'd love to learn a little bit more about you, what brought you to the exclusive brands team at Kehi to you know work with Kadia and work with Kadia brand, and then maybe tell us a little bit about you know, what sets Kadia apart from other brands and how it fits into that broader category management strategy of these independent grocers. Yeah, not
3: a problem.
9: So I have been in the grocery industry my entire 27 year uh, working career so far. So I spent my first uh, 11 years under the conventional side and the last 16 years in the natural channel. I started as a grocery clerk um, at our local grocery store in Northern Wisconsin. I worked for companies called Sunflower Farmers Market down in Phoenix when I transitioned over to the Natural Channel and then eventually moved over to Lucky's Market in Colorado. Uh, And I was a category manager for them for about seven years that focused on center stores, so departments like grocery, non-foods, dairy, frozen bulk, and private label. And then late in 2020, got brought on to KE as the product development manager to focus just on private label to build out their KDF portfolio.
0: That's awesome. So so you're not a stranger to product mix. This is something that's kind of in your blood at this point.
9: Yeah. Yeah. Once you kind of get in the industry at a certain point, you're kind of just stuck. Right. So yeah, it, it's something I really have had a passion for my entire career. And I love to keep developing that as I, as I get older, I guess. So
0: yeah, I feel you. That's, that's why I'm at Infra. You know, I started as a co-op working in the, as a grocery lead, you know, and I worked my way up into the purchasing department. So uh, I think that's where a, a lot of us now in these places start. So what do you see as you know, KDS differentiator? Like, what, what really sets this brand apart from some of the other brands that people see on the shelf? Uh, I mean, Kadia, which is like all the certified organic products. and And
9: earlier this year, uh, we launched Katie Every Day, which is now a new clean label program to offer more value for our retailers. It's purposely built as a private label brand for retailers that can't have that in-store brand or don't have that volume to have their own in-store brand because it can be tough. You know a lot of these vendors expect a lot of volume, and most of them can't provide that yet. So the goal, you know, for the brands is to compete with other natural market private label programs, Uh, you know, where their entry or opening price points on the shelf. We do this while maintaining still the highest quality standards, attributes and certifications all at a great price to make healthy, sustainable options more accessible to their shoppers.
0: No, I think that's great. And And it's been working well for a lot of our members. So let's get into the product mix focus of the conversation and, and really from this brand perspective, independent retailers are independent. You know, they make their own decisions, have different product selections. They serve different communities. How do you guys take all of that information in to decide on what categories that Kadia should play in? And then can you tell me like what goes into that decision-making process on your team and what factors influence these decisions for you guys?
9: So with Kadia and Kadia Every Day, it's a brand that is very focused on stable programs. So things like canned beans, raw tomatoes, things like that. Something you're going to use on an everyday basis. Uh, we need to make sure our retail partners are offering their customer base great quality products at affordable prices. You know, when we walk the stores, every category can have a staple item in it. And so if it makes sense to offer a private label program, that's where we have our focus. And then to your second part of the question, you know, we look for categories that have high consumer demand. And the potential to add value. A good example of that would be our recent addition of Acadia Organic All Purpose five pound flour to the baking sets. You know, organic flour is a high demand category, and with high retails from Bob's Red Mill and King Arthur, it makes sense to add Acadia to our assortment. You know, it for customers can save dollars in their baskets while shopping at the local stores they love. When researching new programs, we do our due diligence to look at competitors' retail spins, data, product selection to compile information. Um, we work with the KHE category management team and get their feedback on gaps uh, that we can fill with Arcadia brands if they're struggling to meet, you know, sales with current brands that are in their you know, portfolio or where they see there's value. You know, we take the needs and requests of our retail partners into consideration as well. So when we are at the infrared tabletop shows or, you know, we're talking to certain sales teams members that call on the for members, we listen to what they have to say, and if there's something they're looking for, and we feel it's a great fit for our brand, it's something we also we also pursue.
0: That's awesome. I I would have never even thought to think of where there's gaps with the the national brands. Like if you know there's a lot of out, out of stocks or supply issues, to for Kadia to jump in and be able to you know source something to be in that that category to to fill that need. That's awesome. Because when I was a retailer too, I used my store brand to fill in a lot of stuff on NCAP. Like if I really wanted to do a meal solution, it's like, ah, oh, but that's not on sale. I would use that to fill in, you know, to create that meal solution. So, so I love that you guys are thinking about it that way. Um, so to think on the, the sourcing side, you know, once you guys have defined that opportunity to play in a category, really it's the sourcing is the next thing, right? It, you need to figure out like, hey, is it even viable to, to bring something in in this category and have it at that price point? So I know that some of your, some of the, the folks that you work with, you know, like your organic preserves partner, has been family owned for more than 30 years and their sustainability and your organic coconut oil producer you know reduces production waste by recycling pressed nut cakes into cattle feed and they also have solar panels like some really cool stuff your partners do how do you guys go about like sourcing some of this product and how do you guys vet these partners and then what role does sustainability play overall in your product selection and, and some of this development?
9: A lot of our suppliers have great stories like the ones you just mentioned. We want to partner with suppliers that share Kehi's core values around people and planet. You know, Kehi is proud to be a B Corp, and we love it when we can partner with suppliers who are also B Corps or have similar mission statements. Uh, This can be reflected in like third-party certifications like Fair Trade, Sustainable Palm, or Forest Stewardship Council. You know, packaging also plays an important part. You know, whenever possible, we choose more sustainable and recyclable packaging options like glass and metal, you know, and as we've seen, recycling can be very confusing and we want to help our customers do the right thing. So we've started on our packaging to include recycling instructions. We also believe in transparency. So if a package is not recyclable, we'll state that on the packaging itself. Packaging could be a challenge and until better options exist, we want to be open and honest Honest with our consumers. We also feel Kadia shoppers share our same values and equal care about things like this.
0: No, that's awesome. I think that's one thing that that stood out to me, even with like peanut butter, right? A lot of times the value peanut butter is in a plastic container. And the one thing, uh, the Kadia peanut butters are in glass jars and I absolutely love that. So it's good that you guys take that extra level of care, figuring out how to put a good product into also good packaging. So I appreciate that. So earlier this year, Infra partnered with Kehi and the Exclusive Brands team to roll out Infra Everyday program, which is our everyday low price EDLP program for Infra members, with Kadia being the store brand for independents. So that's why we have you on to, to kind of dive into this. And this partnership has really allowed these family-owned independent stores to be price competitive with retailers and then some of those big box retailers I mentioned earlier so how do you balance the maintaining the integrity of your product, like we were just talking about, with that need to remain competitive in terms of pricing? That seems like it could be a, a challenge to balance that out. How do you guys do that?
9: Uh, it definitely is. It's like walking a tightrope, to be honest with you. You're focused on two huge key factors, right? Like you said, pricing, the sustainability, the quality, everything that kind of ties together. So, you know, first we need to make sure we're partnering with the right manufacturers on our program. Even the largest suppliers may not be the right fit for us, right? Finding the right partner is the biggest key factor. You know, second, we need to make sure we're purchasing the product correctly and getting it into our warehouses so that we're making sure we're getting into the right pricing brackets, whatever it is to make sure our retails are hit. So our better partners are moving volume for us, you know, and a third is the transportation of the product. We evaluate programs very deeply at a level of, you know, are we moving it direct to warehouse? Is it intercompany transfer? Is it going to specific warehouses? Is it deliver? Are we picking up? So we review programs at, you know, half a dozen ways at least to try to hit everything we need to make sure it's a successful program for, for the M4T members.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, efficiencies, you know, can, can really make a big impact in pricing. You know, especially when we're talking about freight and fuel costs and everything like that. So um that's good that you guys are looking at that. So one fun thing in the natural foods industry, and I, I bet this hit hits home with you being a, a former category manager and still being kind of in that realm, is going to product shows and seeing that new exciting products, you know what what's coming to market, what categories are trending, and what fun new things are out. So for a brand like Kadia, are there any future trends or developments you foresee in the like private label, value brand sector? And how does Kadia plan to adapt going into the future?
9: Kadia will continue to provide its staple programs at a great price for retail partners. But what we're doing is offering a larger portfolio of trending products or flavors to make sure we keep up with the market. Currently we offer over 300 Kadia and KDA everyday items that number continues to grow on a monthly basis. We like to unveil our new products at our Kehi shows, so we're always happy to see infra store members at our booth to see what's new and exciting and what's coming up in the pipeline and able to try some of these products at the same time. Uh, Anyone in the grocery business knows the food inflation is still high, up about 20% from that 2019. In this inflationary environment, Data and research show that shoppers continue turning more and more to private label brands to stretch their grocery budget. It's becoming even more important for retailers to have a robust and attractive private label assortment like Pedia on their shelves. Now it's a great time for stores to make sure they are working with their KG sales team members to add new items as we continue to increase our selection. Our mission is to help independent retailers thrive at our retail partners on the ground have their finger on the pulse of what their shoppers are looking for next. We always welcome inputting suggestions on it, what solutions we can offer next.
0: That's great. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the the thing that I think about when I think of private label, especially for independents, is, you know, it's a great way to increase your basket size. You know, if you, you know, if people come in with a budget, they can not only afford things, but they might be able to afford more things and then be able to build that basket. So, I think it's great having a, a private label or a, a house brand, however you want to label it. But no, I think it's great. So, Adam, when I asked you to be on this podcast, which this is your first podcast, is is there anything that you thought of like, oh, I really want to talk to the Infra, the members, or I want to talk to the industry about Kadia when I asked you to be on that we haven't covered yet?
9: I think it's, to me, it's a real special brand that Kadia is offering. There's, you know, there's other brands out there by other companies, but I think we have a true passion for what we're putting out there that we really do our due diligence on items and make sure it's, you know, it's, it's hitting those quality standards. It's bringing something special to the market for, you know, for the info retailers, customer base. You know, I, am honestly very proud to be working for, for Kehi and being able to provide this, this brand to, to the info members, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, and from from what what I've heard from a lot of members too, they just they love the taste of it, um, especially compared to a lot of the other private label brands. So that's something to be proud of. You can have a great product, package it up, make it look pretty, have a good price, but if it doesn't taste good, it's not going to sell. So I think you guys have done done really good at, on that side of the development as well. So yeah,
9: we got a great team on this side.
0: Yeah, that's awesome, and and we look forward to continue working together and and developing this this partnership. So. Thanks, Adam, for joining us on the show today. I really appreciate it. I think this is a great conversation. Um, Look forward to the future of uh, Infra and Kehi and Kadia together. Thank you so much. Next episode, we'll be making room for shrooms this holiday. And we'll be hearing from Taro, the owner of Four Sigmatic Mushrooms. And Lauren and I talked to Jerry Angelini, the educator at Host Defense.
1: Adam Stark, Infra board member and chief miscellaneous officer at Debra's Gourmet Market, will be making his second appearance on the podcast, chatting with me about local mushrooms and produce and fungus throughout the store.
0: Wow, he sounds like a fun guy.
1: <laughs> he is a fun guy, and I am excited
0: about that episode, too. <laughs> yeah, me too. Should be awesome. See you later, everyone. Bye. folks. That's it for this episode of The Buyer's Desk. Thanks to Angela for co-hosting. And I appreciate the contributions from Infra staff, Infra members, and Infra vendors for helping to make this episode happen. I appreciate all of you who listened this far, and I hope to see you next month for another episode.